Welcome to a new episode of Film Seizure at the Movies. I'm Jeff Arbuckle, co-host of the Film Seizure podcast that you can catch each Wednesday morning with my cohorts, Jason Oliver and Chuck Moore, and my solo show, Monster Mondays, that happen each Monday afternoon. You can catch both of those shows at filmseizure.com. Tom Cruise is back on the hunt. Ethan Hunt, that is. He's chosen to accept a seventh mission that is going to be damn near impossible and he'll have to reckon with the dead that will be left behind. Yep, this is a review for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. What's kind of wild is that usually a Part 1 and Part 2 scenario, especially the 7th and 8th movies into a series, usually results in the end of that series. But director and producer Christopher McQuarrie has said, this is uh, not the beginning of the end, and I think a lot of people will be very happy to hear that news. But anyway, let's back things up here. And uh, the Mission Impossible series began with Brian De Palma's 1996 entry simply titled Mission Impossible. That movie did okay with critics, but it performed very well at the global box office. The biggest issue that came about from the film was a little bit of backlash from longtime fans of the Bruce Geller television series and the actors who were involved you see since the start of that series that goes back to its first season in 1966 through the revival in 1988 and to today with dead reckoning part one all of that is a single canonical continuity according to paramount pictures and the film series producers that seems like a great thing right well not so much to everyone the big reveal of the first film was that series lead Jim Phelps, played by John Voight in the film, is revealed to be a traitor. No one involved with the original series was happy about this, especially original Jim Phelps actor Peter Graves. Graves was apparently uh, originally approached to reprise his award-winning role, but when he discovered he would be outed, you know, he'd be outed as the main villain, he was quite upset and declined the part with quite a bit of prejudice. The Phelps character would eventually die fairly horribly. This leaves the series in the hands of Tom Cruise's Ethan Hunt. Now, by the 90s, many people roughly my age didn't really have a great deal of nostalgia or connection to Peter Graves as Jim Phelps. I am of two minds of that heel turn. Personally, in continuity, I don't think Jim Phelps would turn traitor based on the series I saw growing up in reruns. To me, I kind of thought the of the decision to be rather insensitive to the fans of the show who were going to show up and see the movie. But on the other hand, if we separate the movie completely and totally from the television series, then I don't really care that Jim Phelps is the villain at the end of the original film. Now granted, this is nearly 30 years ago now, so I'm not even sure why I would spend any more time on that. Just You can either accept it for what it is, in continuity or you can separate the continuity and just say yeah the character named jim phelps in the first movie is the bad guy so what but the main reason is that the film series became so much better than the original film was as much as i liked the first film when i saw it in 1996 each movie kind of upped the andy hand over fist so there was one thing that is kind of funny about the first movie and the two subsequent sequels, 2000's Mission Impossible 2 and 2006's Mission Impossible 3, is that each of the bad guys kind of running the show uh, that Ethan Hunt has to go out and stop, 
uh, was a turncoat from the Impossible Missions Force. Uh, each film had that same outcome of a turncoat, but each movie was uniquely its own. It was clear that the Mission Impossible films were the appropriate American counterpart to the James Bond films. The series lived in its hallmarks and tropes and traditions, but each film had their own flavor. However, after the first three films it did seem it was time for a little bit of a refresh of the series. While I think each film, uh, each of the films are quite good and did continue to go bigger and more over the top than the previous, the returns were beginning to diminish. Each film cost a little bit more and grossed a little bit less than the one before it. This would all take a sharp turn upward in 2011 with the release of Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. This was the first film in the series to not make the main villain pulling all the strings to be a former or current IMF agent. In, Go in Ghost Protocol, Ethan Hunt is brought into a mission to stop a crazed Russian nuclear war expert from starting a nuclear war of his own in the hopes to bring about a twisted sense of world peace. When IMF is framed for blowing up the Kremlin in Moscow... Hunt and team have to go deep off the radar to save the world. IMF, though, uh, is in shambles, and Hunt's own, at times, reckless actions has consequences in the following film, Rogue Nation, when IMF is permanently shut down and folded into the CIA under the control of uh, the CIA head character, played by Alec Baldwin. It forces Hunt to continue to work alone to bring down a treacherous group of highly covert terrorists named the Syndicate. One of the things that Ghost Protocol did was give us the start of an exceptional stunts, a series of exceptional stunts performed by Tom Cruise. Each film had high action and high amount of cliffhanging excitement, but things kicked into super high gear with the fourth entry. In that film, Cruz is seen scaling the tallest building in the world in Dubai. How is he scaling the tallest world or tallest building in the world? With a pair of gloves. Sure, they are special gloves, but still gloves. It's a breathtakingly tense scene as we watch a guy barely hang on for his life with equipment that turns out to be faulty. That's followed by a quieter dialogue scene with a deadly assassin played by James Bond's love, Leah Sadu. The movie ends with a death-defying series of leaps and drops in one of those fancy car elevators that you see in uh, high-class or high, uh, highly uh, you know, modern parking lots and so forth. Rogue Nation doesn't wait to give us the standout stunt of the film as it does so in the very opening scene. Cruz has to catch a plane carrying dangerous neurotoxin warheads. He hangs onto the outside of the plane as it takes off. It's just amazing. I think about Tom Cruise's almost unparalleled desire and zeal for insane stunts. And this guy is 15 years older than me. Meanwhile, the very thought of a day warmer than 75 degrees makes me want to die in a pile of my own sweat. Now, 2018's Mission Impossible Fallout deals with, well a fallout of sorts from Rogue Nation's conclusion. Solomon Lane, the villain who was running a network of disavowed agents from several countries around the world uh, to create a new world order, is still alive, and he's a little bit of a haunting nightmare for Ethan. 
the remnants of his old network, the syndicate, still remains as something called the Apostles. Uh, they want nuclear weapons and to upset the balance of the world. In a way, these guys aren't too far off from the bad guy in Ghost Protocol. They want to sow chaos to build a new and better society, and so on and so forth. Action scenes in Fallout involve an insanely brutal fistfight with uh, Cruz and Henry Cavill on one side and a guy wanting to buy weapons on the other side within a bathroom. There is also a thrilling halo jump out of a high-altitude plane. Oh, and in the climax, Tom Cruise gets into a helicopter that is taking off at the time that he catches a rope and climbs into it as it's flying over these mountains um and he ends up crashing the helicopter he literally crashes in a helicopter for this movie i have to assume that some of that was real probably very highly controlled and very highly plotted out but one of the great things about these movies are just how real everything looks i said the same thing last summer with uh, Top Gun Maverick, how real everything looked to be, you know, with them being in the airplanes. Um, it, and it's stuff that, that Tom Cruise prepares for, so he knows how to act through those scenes. It's fantastic. Now, the point I am trying to make is that this entire series keeps cranking out these amazing action films full of stunts and high-energy action scenes with globetrotting and thrilling near-misses. It's an amazing thing to see a guy like Tom Cruise at 61 years old still doing these types of films and each one getting bigger and bigger and still getting bigger and better reviews um, six movies deep into the series. These are very good action films. The great thing is that these movies aren't just only for Tom Cruise to shine. He's been very lucky to have a great cast of supporting characters throughout the series. Ving Rhames is great as his right-hand man Luther Stickle. Uh, Simon Pegg has been a great addition to the cast since the third film. Rebecca Ferguson, these last few movies, all these people have been great. Uh, the second film, directed by John Woo, is incredibly stylish, but has this gleeful performance by uh, the heavy in the movie, Doug Ray Scott, who is just going all in with his rogue agent character. Later on, Jeremy Renner showed up for the fourth and fifth films as something more of an analyst type of character who you may think of uh, not being used to being out in the field. Well, he's actually a very capable member of the team and has some very good scenes of his own. Um, you know, Henry Cavill's turn in the previous film creates this imposing type of figure who doesn't think too highly of Ethan because of their different ways of going about business in the realm of the spy game. But anyway... Let's turn our attention now and our focus to the movie of the hour, Dead Reckoning Part 1. In Dead Reckoning, the item Hunt is trying to track down is one half of a key that he obtains the other half of early on in the movie. But this just isn't any key. Uh, it's the key to the source code for an exceptionally powerful and artificial intelligence known as the entity that has gone rogue and through gaining sentience has the capability to unleash an awesome amount of information and disinformation that would bring the world to basically the brink of an all-out war. Ethan isn't the only one trying to track down this all-important completed key. Just about every major power and a few middling powers are hoping to obtain the key to essentially uh, 
control the fate of the world and write and rewrite truth and history as we know it. But that's not all. Ethan himself is being tracked by his own government for knowing a little too much and refusing to come in from the cold when he got the first half of the key. On top of that, there's yet another player in this movie in the form of a man named Gabriel, an assassin who has no equal in terms of how cruel he can be. He's been converted into something of a zealot for what the entity is able to do, pretty much to the point that he is basically the AI's agent in the field. This is truly an impossible mission for Ethan because the power the entity possesses should never be in the hands of anyone, regardless if it's his own country or an enemy state or himself or a man who takes uh, great pleasure in watching people suffer. Oh, and that man who likes to watch people suffer also happens to be someone from Ethan's past that was involved in the whole event that basically made Ethan Hunt into the IMF operative he has been for pretty much the past 30 years. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 is, without a doubt, and I mean, it, it is seriously one of the most exciting films I've ever seen. I'm not being hyperbolic when I say this. For a movie that is 2 hours and 43 minutes in length, the movie hardly slows down to catch its breath. It's an ex it's an exhausting exercise in excitement. You feel like Tom Cruise after the movie comes to a conclusion. You're barely able to calm yourself down after being put through the ringer for nearly three hours. And I feel as though this is a movie that really should be studied in film school, particularly in the art of action and tension. The movie opens with a, with a Russian submarine that is supposedly the cutting edge in technology, as it is so adept at at being stealthy that it cannot be picked up by other um, by other subs unless you actually got outside the sub and tried to look outside for yourself um, it's suddenly found by what appears to be an American sub and there's this showdown where you see the sweat on the brows and the cheeks of the people inside the sub it's there to set the entire thing into motion and then we're globetrotting with Ethan having a shootout in the sandstorm, having to rely on misdirection and pickpocketing with Haley Atwell in an airport. Once we get to the first real stunt sequence in the movie, a car chase through the crowded streets of Rome, it's already come after several scenes of incredible tension as Ethan needs to slip the American agents after him and needing to track down that slippery Atwell. The car chase also tips a hat toward For Your Eyes Only, in which Bond and his leading lady, Melina, having to basically pile into a tiny yellow car to get away from the bad guys, just like Cruz and Atwell do in this movie. Intermixed in between the big action sequences, there are these smaller hand-to-hand -hand confrontations when Ethan has to fight off two goons in a tight alleyway, or when both Atwell and Rebecca Ferguson are having a knife fight with Gabriel played by Isai Morales that are every bit as exciting as those larger action sequences. It's a movie that every scene has something intense happening in it, even when it's just dialogue, but it's the third act that really sticks the landing in this movie. This is where the big stunt of the movie takes place. The one that we've seen in every trailer when Tom Cruise rides a motorcycle off a cliff in the Alps and then goes directly into a deadfall with a parachute 
and a hope that he'll land on a speeding train underneath him. It's breathtaking. The resolution of how he lands turns out to be one of two fantastic laughs that happen when Cruz does something unexpected to save Haley Atwell's character. But that jump off a cliff has is nothing compared to the hand-to-hand battle between Cruz and Morales on top of that train. That itself is nothing compared to an incredible train wreck that happens when a bridge explodes. I was hanging on to the edge of my seat during one of the most exciting and daring escapes from certain death I've maybe ever witnessed in a movie. This cast is fantastic too. Tom Cruise is amazing as he has been for the past several Mission Impossible films. Ving Rhames and Simon Pegg are more than reliable and have a couple of really good emotionally charged moments both together and individually with uh, with Tom Cruise and then all three of them together. Uh, the same thing goes with Rebecca Ferguson um, here for the third straight film. Her and Tom Cruise have just this wonderful chemistry together with these movies. Um, you really do feel that these characters probably really do love each other and it's and it's really kind of nice to see them interacting in these movies particularly how they've evolved as these two characters over these three movies uh Haley atwell is great and you're always trying to figure out what her next move is going to be and she always surprises you the guys on the american side of the chase um harry or henry uh cherney uh shea wiggum uh, Greg Tarzan Davis and Carrie Elways are all great. Uh, Charney, again, bringing that intensity that he had in the very first movie when he already thought Hunt was unreliable and a little too rogue for his liking. He just simply hates the, the Ethan Hunt character, no matter how much good he's done and how many times he saved the, the world. They're just biting lines to each other are just great. And also Charney kind of narrates the opening of Ethan's story and the conclusion of of the story for this first part and it's just you just can't wait for that next movie to happen um i'm always happy to see vanessa kirby but she seems to be having a blast playing her black market arms dealer character um you know there are a lot of little glances or lines that she has that give her character playfulness in these last two movies um, when it comes to Isai Morales as Gabriel, the main villain, he is so cold and cool and very, he, he doesn't yell. He doesn't, you know, he is, he's telling you what he knows the algorithm has predicted for these care for these characters to do. And he's telling you, you're going to do this thing. And it's, it's almost chilling in a way. But perhaps the person I was always having fun watching was uh, Pom Klimatev as Paris, the assassin goon working for Gabriel. She is equal parts beautiful and alluring, (laughs) and as she is basically deadly and utterly insane, she has this giddiness at the utter chaos she was wreaking on the streets of Rome in that car chase. That was a pure delight to watch. I'd watch her in anything. And if she wants to be completely insane while doing it, go for it because I'd probably buy two tickets to watch that. But what makes this 
A very special movie is the timeliness of the movie's main plot device, the out-of-control growth of both misinformation and artificial intelligence. Considering AI is at the heart of the writer's strike and raising a lot of questions about how it's used with art, um, this is perfectly timed to hit the screens. Meanwhile, AI is something that also seems to be rushing headlong towards something maybe becoming sentient without our notice or ability to stop it as we hand more and more responsibility over to faster thinking and evolving algorithms this does worry some experts that ai might someday trigger something to happen that it was not originally designed to do because it learned how to do that thing gabriel uses calculated algorithms given to him by the entity to know like i said a lot of what ethan and team's actions are before they even know what their plans are that's a scary thing to think about something so smart and processing so much historical and programmed information so quickly that it can predict the future and be right about it puts a lot of strain on our concepts of free will and choice uh, for the misinformation side of things, we've already seen how a combination of social media, our own worldviews, the ability for people to create spin or simply weave so-called truth out of nothing, and algorithms based on the types of things people do and read and look for online can create major issues. Misinformation is at the heart of almost every conspiracy theory because people are being fed information that fits their opinions and their preconceived notions of how the world should work or what, you know, their uh, kind of closed minded opinion of things. Um, and it that leads to those people rejecting actual facts and potentially isolating and insulating themselves with these kind of fairy tales that they're being fed by this misinformation dead reckoning is putting an idea is putting that idea on a larger global and political level what happens when a major power is able to hijack every other power's weapons or scoop up all of their intelligence or change that intelligence or through the use of AI imagery and deepfakes, make something look like it happened when in actuality it didn't. How would that affect the natural course of world events or community or perspective? Would that potentially lead to a war? Would we be able to question appropriately if what we're actually seeing is real or not? Not the questioning that, that the conspiracy theorists do, but are we able to really actually think about and question what we are really being fed and, and really kind of be able to think critically about it. That's a scary thing to think about. But what I'm getting to is that Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 is a truly special, and I'll say it, an amazing film. It every bit deserves this year's very first A-plus that I have given out. This is a perfect action spectacular. As I said, it should be taught in film schools as a way to perfectly pace action and tension. It's got characters out the wazoo that are incredibly fun to watch. It's entertainment on a level few movies have ever achieved. And it is, without a doubt, the most exciting movie I'll, I'll see this year and likely will see this entire decade. Don't forget to follow Film Seizure at Facebook, Instagram, and Threads so that you can 
uh, be made aware of new episodes of our various shows as they drop. You can also follow us at podcast providers like SoundCloud, Google, Apple, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, and Audible. You can also listen to the show on YouTube by subscribing there. Now, I'm going to be taking a little bit of a vacation. I've got some traveling coming up, so Film Seizure at the Movies may not be around for the rest of the summer, but you can still listen to Film Seizure on Wednesdays and Monster Mondays on Monday each week. Um, so until I do have a movie to discuss, maybe later this summer or possibly into the fall, don't forget to save me the aisle seat. <laughs>